Well, again, good morning. Welcome to The Grove. Uh, we are going to be talking for four weeks on this idea of how to rediscover real biblical generosity. And the reason we're doing this is, is simple. And again, it's not to manipulate towards a desired outcome later. Like, I know that that's kind of a preconceived notion that sometimes we enter into churches with a little trepidation and a little skepticism because we know that there are examples where people use scripture and they use faith to kind of manipulate and coerce people out of money. That's not what we're about here. That's not what we're interested in, and that's not what we'll be doing for the next four weeks. What we are going to be doing is to talk about generosity and not about money, because there's a difference between the two. And the reason we're going to be talking about generosity here is because there's very little conversation about generosity out there. Now, there's lots of information. There's lots of discussion. There are lots of people who have opinions on money how to keep it, how to save it, how to grow it. And it's all about accumulation and development of the money that you have. Some of you are probably in industries that do this. You help people navigate the world of money to make sure that what they have, they keep, and what they have, they're able to use to leverage and develop what they have into more, right? So that's not what we're going to be talking about. Instead, we're going to be talking about generosity. And generosity is different from money because it reflects not just how we use our money, but ultimately and more importantly, how we feel about our money. And there are lots of feelings about money. For some of you, you have a kind of a toxic relationship with money, right? You like it, but when you have it, you spend it, and then you don't have it, and then you're mad at it until you get more of it, and then you like it again, right? You're kind of in this bad relationship and dynamic with money. Some of you, you're just it makes you nervous because you don't know that you have all of the information and resources to steward it well, and so you're just like, I don't care. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. Just make sure that the credit card works every month, right? You kind of have that relationship with money, and then some of you, you kind of other end of the pendulum, right? You obsess about it. You think about it constantly. You're the person that's always looking at your bank balance, regardless of how much you have. Like you're always thinking about ways to make more or to use what you have to leverage it, to multiply it, all of the things, right? Money is complicated. And so for four weeks, we're going to be talking about how to think about money and how to think and feel about money. And I think the first place to start is to really unpack maybe the biggest myth related to generosity that just exists in the world. This is the biggest myth, and this is the one that I think gets in the way of people living generous lives. Because ultimately, we think that a life modeled after Christ is a life that implicitly understands that the Christian heart is a generous heart. And we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks, but ultimately it is impossible. It is impossible to be a mature follower of Christ and not also be generous. They are inc- you cannot be stingy and a mature Christian. You can't do it. And we'll show you why over the next couple of weeks. But the place we're going to start today is maybe the biggest myth about generosity, and it's this. And you probably don't realize that maybe you think about generosity this way. Generosity is a destination. This is what we think about generosity, that it is a place that we end up eventually. If we can get a better job, if we can pay down our mortgage, if we can refinance, well, maybe not refinance right now, but if we can eventually refinance in a couple of decades and pay off our mortgage, right? Or once we get the kids out of college 
then there's a, an eventuality to it, but then we'll be able to be generous because it's a destination. Once we save up enough, once we get through these seasons that we're in, once this investment deal pays off, whatever it is, there's always some contingency towards a future destination. Eventually, generosity is a place that we land. It's a place that we end up. It's fin- we have finally arrived, and now that we're here, we can be generous. But what is true for most of us is that we make more money now, or we have more money now, than we did five years ago, or 10 years ago, or 20 years ago. And what's also true is that if we think about generosity as a destination, as we gain and make more and more and more money, we don't ever see any change in how generous we become. It is a myth to think that the more money you have, the more generous you are. As a pastor of a church, I promise you that is not true, right? Because we're not talking about the amount, but we're talking about percentage because that's the better way to measure generosity. And so what happens is we keep waiting to get to the place where we can finally be generous. But what happens is the goalposts keep moving. And so you keep chasing and you keep chasing and you keep chasing to a place where you're at the end of your life and you're like, well, I wanted to be generous, but I never got there. I never ended up at a place of generosity. And as long as we think about generosity as a destination, we'll never arrive. We'll never be generous. We'll never be able to look back on our life and say we lived a generous life. Because again, this is bigger than money. What we want for you here is we want you to have generous lives, lives that overflow. And this spans every segment and category of your life. We want you to be generous in your relationships. We want to be generous with your presence and with your time. We want you to be generous in the way that you engage with people who maybe don't look or think or act like you. We want you to be generous in your hospitality, the way that you host and treat people. We want you to be generous in the words that you use, in the ways that you think less of yourself and think of others more. It filters down into every part of our lives. We want you to have a generous life. And there is also a relationship to generosity and money, but it is not the only relationship. And so if we wait till we finally get there to be generous, we realize that we never actually end up where we wanted to be. And so this morning in the time that we have together, I want to quickly show you this passage where the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church who is wrestling with this same dynamic. Now, the passage that we're going to look at is kind of the first couple of verses of the longest section on money and generosity in the whole Bible. Nowhere else in scripture spends more time kind of navigating the issue of money and generosity than this passage out of 2 Corinthians. Now, that's saying something because if you go through the Old Testament, there's lots of wisdom and isms that would fit on a bumper sticker about how to think about money. One of them is summed up beautifully in the children's sermon that you heard. Ultimately, this is all a gift. And so as we steward gifts well, that means that we remember that they're gifts and we treat them as such, right? Everything that God does for us is a gift. But as you move to the New Testament, what you find is that Jesus spends 25% of his time talking about money and generosity. 
Because there is something not about circumstances, not about destination. There is something in our interior life. There's something in our heart that gets entangled with our money that Jesus is trying to point out to help us see. And so given the whole treatment of scripture around the ideas of money and generosity, what we're about to look at is really important because it is the longest section and spends the most time talking about it. Now, the circumstances behind this passage, I'm just going to briefly kind of catch you up on. This is one of several letters that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. Corinth was a church that was very wealthy. They were very educated, and so they had lots of resources, both in terms of their time, both in terms of their knowledge, just they were upwardly mobile in life, which was not true about every church that Paul interacted with. Some churches were desperately poor, struggling with famine, and so the problems facing each church looked different. It would not be a stretch to say that the church in Corinth looked a whole lot like our church today. Lots of education, lots of resources, lots of opportunities, lots of upward mobility. There's a lot of agency to many of us here in this church. Same situation and dynamic at the church in Corinth. Now, here's where it gets a little interesting. Uh, Paul has been going around trying to raise money for the church in Jerusalem. There's a group of Christians, they're struggling with a famine, and he's trying to raise some money for them so that they can like, you know, eat and live and kind of do all the things. And what he's noticing is that most of the churches are pretty good about sharing and sending resources. But for some reason, one of the wealthier churches, the church in Corinth, hasn't sent any money yet. They haven't been willing to kind of write the check and be generous with what they have. And so he's writing this letter to them to kind of repair the relationship, to figure out what's going on, and then to remind them, like, hey, you know, we keep checking the mail, and <laughs> that check hasn't come yet. What's, what's going on? And not only is he kind of like prompting them to be generous, but he's also teaching them, and he's instructing them why generosity is not a destination that they can't wait to arrive at. But rather, it's something deeper and more interior. And so this is what Paul says. He says, and now brothers and sisters, he's writing to the church in Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now the reason he's talking about them is because he's holding them up as an example that he hopes the church in Corinth aspires to. And this is why he's holding them up as an example. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, when you think about the circumstances, the equation that would lead to a group of people to be rich in generosity, it is not abundant joy and extreme poverty. Those aren't the circumstances and the situations you would paint, right? Because those aren't the ingredients you need for somebody to be generous if you view generosity as a destination. Well, they just need to wait. They need to wait till they get to a different place. And once they're in a different place, then they can be generous. But they're not in that place right now because they're dealing with extreme poverty, right? It's a very reasonable kind of objection to why someone can't be generous. But that's not what happens here. And that's not why Paul is lifting this church in Macedonia up. He's lifting them up because despite their extreme poverty, they have this abundant joy 
that has somehow manifested and created this rich generosity. And look at the language. He talks about it welling up. You can just imagine like, you know, something coming up from the ground or a geyser or something just continues to produce and to generate over and over and over again. It kind of, kind of connects to some of the language of overflow, which we named the series on, and you'll see why we call it overflow here in a second. But Paul's like holding this up. He's like, listen, they're not at a destination that would lead you to believe that they could be generous. And yet here they are being rich in generosity. He goes on. He says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even well beyond their ability. Now, this is tricky for us because for even those of us who are generous with our resources, we all have a limit, right? We all have a, I can be generous up until this point. You know, it's kind of like that metaphorical dilemma, like when the offering basket comes around and you pull out the cash and you've got a one and a hundred. Which choice do you make? That, I mean, that's a, that's a significant test of your faith. Like, okay, which one, nobody knows but me, God. Which one's going in the plate? Because we all have this limit, this ability to give, this willingness to give until a point. And Paul's saying, Despite their extreme poverty, they even gave well beyond their ability. And he goes on. He says, without prompting, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing with the Lord's people. Now, I promise you as a pastor who has asked for money for years, this doesn't happen very often, right? Someone begging you to be able to give. Someone begging you for another opportunity to put more money, more resources, more time, more energy into whatever it is that the need requires, it doesn't happen. You've all been on the other end of people asking you for, for money, right? Whether it comes in the mail and it's pretty passive, or you go to one of those schools where you get on the passive-aggressive group text that lets you know that every family is given but you, and they're waiting for you to give so that you'll give, and they kind of guilt trip you into giving, right? Ooh, some of them are serious about that stuff. Like, they come knock on your door and say, hey, you're the only family in the whole school that hasn't given. Why aren't, well, how about you join the rest of it, right? They kind of put the pressure on you. People don't ask for the privilege. They're not eager to be more generous than what's needed. Most of the time, they'll try to give to their ability or they'll try to meet the need as they're able. And then they're like, I've done my job. I've played my part and now I'm going to move on, right? Paul's saying this church was different. This church was asking to be generous, begging to be more generous. And then he explains why. And this is what I don't want us to miss. He said, this happened because they first gave themselves to the Lord. The beginning of their extravagant generosity, their desire, their begging and pleading with Paul and his team to be able to give more money was not because they arrived at a destination. It was because they first began by giving themselves to the Lord. They reoriented their hearts, their lives towards Christ and towards the patterning themselves after the example of him. This is what begins the transformation in this church's life so that these individuals overflow in abundant generosity because they gave themselves to Christ. It's not something that they forced themselves into. It's a work that God is doing through the Holy Spirit in them. And this is the lesson for us. It's like, if we want to be a generous church and a generous people in every area of our life, 
It's not going to be by waiting to get to a specific destination or a specific financial threshold or a specific time threshold where we're in a new season with more space. No, it begins by reorienting our hearts towards Christ. And he goes on. He said, and so their generosity flowed out of God's grace at work in their lives. And ultimately, this is the... This is specific verse that frames up what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks. This is the vision that I want for us as a people and for us as a church. A generosity that flows out of, that overflows out of God's grace at work in their lives. Because it's not me coming up here with the Bible and trying to hit you over the head till you cough up more money. That's not what we're trying to do. We want the second part. We want there to be God's grace at work in your lives, helping you to begin to think differently about your time and your energy and your resources, to begin to do a work in you. And if we can get to that place, well, the generosity, the overflow, the joy, the exuberance, the hospitality, the compassion, the commitment to justice, all of that comes if we can get to the first part right. And so, as we started this whole thing talking about how generosity is not a destination, I want to clarify what it is. Generosity is not a destination. It's an orientation. It is not the place that you end at. It is not the place that you arrive. It is the starting place. It is the beginning place. Because it begins when we begin to give our lives over to Christ. We begin to let him do the work in us. It's not about trying to force yourself or guilt yourself or shame yourself into trying to do more. Yes, action leads to heart change as well. But the real work happens when we say, all right, Christ, just like the song, more of me or more of you, less of me, right? Do the work in me. Then Paul goes on and he kind of explains this whole passage. He says, I'm not commanding you. I'm not forcing you to do this. But I am, by mentioning the eagerness of others, testing the genuineness of your love. Because what Paul knows, and what hopefully we'll learn, is that it's not a destination. It's an orientation of the heart. It's about what's happening in here. And the direct measurement of what's happening in here is how we handle our generosity. Do we live like this? Is Allie's teaching our kids? Or do we walk around the life like this? Holding on, making sure, scowling at everybody because we think they're going to try to pry our fingers off of what it is we're clutching so tightly. Is it mine? Is it ours? Or is it God's? And we're just temporary stewards and managers. The difference in posture is not about your hands but it's about your heart. And this is what Paul knows. And this is what we're going to try to talk about again and again and again. Now, there's a couple of ways that people move through this process of generosity. There's a couple of different identities we take as we become abundantly generous. And I want to quickly move through them and then we'll celebrate communion together. But here's the three levels of generosity. Convenient givers, committed givers, and contagious givers. 
Now, you could add a fourth level non-giver. Like, that's at the top, but I'm not interested in teaching you how to be a non-giver. First, convenient givers. These are people who give out of what is left over. Giving is not a priority. Generosity is not a priority in their lives. Typically, they're motivated by guilt or obligation, right? The mailer comes in, you read it, you're like, oh, I guess I'll do this. Or, well, we've spent all of our money for the month and we've got about, you know, 100 bucks left in the account. We can write a check for 25, right? It's the orientation about how you're thinking about your relationship with money and with generosity. Is it your best and first? Or is it, well, whatever's left over, I think I've I I got some change in here somewhere, right? That's, that's the first level of giving. That's giving out of convenience. The next is a commitment to give. And this is the difference in priority and orientation. You start to see the shift in the evolution. These are people who set aside their time, their talents, and their treasures to give to others. And they understand the purpose of giving back to God. Once again, it's not ours. It's God's. We are temporary stewards. And so we are going to make a plan. We are going to commit in advance that this is something, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord, right? This is making this a commitment ahead of time. Because if you wait till the end of time, right? If you wait and make generosity a destination, you're not going to get there and you won't feel like it. Not going to happen. And so you have to do it on the front end. And then the last level of giving, the highest level of giving, and this is kind of what Paul describes of this church in Macedonia. These are the contagious givers. They are begging for a, what else can we do? How else can we help? How else can we serve? These are people who've discovered the joy of living generously. And they look for additional opportunities to bless, bless others. I did that in the rehearsal. Bless. Ugh. And invest in God's work in the world. Sometimes I got to give the tech guys something to laugh at because they got a hard job. They have discovered the joy of living generously and look for additional opportunities to bless others and invest in God's work in the world. Compare and contrast the first and the third, right? The convenient givers who they give with what's ever left over when they feel obligated or guilty or shamed into doing it versus those who are constantly searching, looking for opportunities to be more and more generous. That can only come from a shift in orientation of the heart, from recognizing that to live more like Christ, to be more like Christ, requires us to live a generous life. And this is how Paul wraps up this first introduction to this long passage on money. And he says just that. This is what he says. He says, for you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. To be more like Christ is to begin to understand this at a heart level. And so in a few moments, we're going to invite you to come forward as we celebrate communion to reinforce and to remind ourselves that this is the ultimate act of generosity that Christ demonstrated for us, to fully give completely of themselves 
so that we could have life and have it in abundance. And so friends, as you come forward, may you begin to think about the ways and the places that your heart needs to reorient around generosity with your time and your talents and your treasure. And then we'll invite you to come back next week and we'll talk about this a little bit more. And so I'm sure everybody will be here next week, right? All right, let me pray for us and then we'll celebrate communion. Gracious God, you are the giver of all good things. And it is through you that we are abundantly blessed. God, help us to recognize that generosity is not a destination, but an orientation. And so in these moments as we come to receive the gift of your body and your blood, allow your spirit to transform our hearts and minds to think about generosity in the way that you've demonstrated. We pray this in your name. Amen.